for our time this morning. Thank you for bringing each one here. We thank you for your word, the power of your word. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. And we ask that you would draw us to him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for singing, singing well. Uh, I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. That's a major statement of faith, isn't it? Statement of faith. All right, yesterday we were thinking about the greatest person who ever lived. Remember that? And really the question we were asking ourselves is, who is Jesus? Is Jesus who he really claims to be? Or our only other option was what? What was our only other option? He's a deceiver or crazy. So you either have bad options or you have to recognize him for who he is. There's no in-between options. That makes sense when you really face the claims of Christ. Now today we're going to look at the offer that Jesus makes. We're still in Luke chapter 9. And this passage follows the passage we were just looking at. Right after Jesus asked these two questions, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He then issues an invitation. And it's that invitation I want us to look at this morning. I don't know if I'm calling this the greatest offer ever made. I think I'm right. The greatest offer ever made. I don't know if you've ever been given, made a great offer. If any of you had great offers made to you? Maybe it was an offer to go on a trip to a desired destination. Maybe it was the offer, um, the offer of a job that you wanted. Maybe it was the offer of someone to pay your college. Whoa, that'd be cool. You know, maybe it was the offer made by some famous or important person, at least to you, to come alongside them, to learn from them, to spend time with them. A few years ago, British Airways, big airline company, made an offer. They offered a free seat on every single airplane that they owned for a single day. They put it up for offer. And they called it this, the world's biggest offer. The world's biggest offer. Now, if that's the world's biggest offer, that's pretty sad. Because if you weren't alive, which actually most of you weren't, it was 1991, uh, then you missed out on the world's biggest offer. <laughs> you know, and it's gone, forever gone. But there are bigger offers than that. And Jesus makes an enormous offer here. And I want us to think about that. So Luke chapter 9, are you there? Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And I'm going to read verses 23 through 26 to get the overall context. But we're, we're really going to be only looking at the first half of verse 23 today. And then tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll come back And we'll think about the rest of what Jesus says. So, verse 23, 9, 23. And he was saying to them all, that's Jesus was saying to his disciples and perhaps to others who were listening, if anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily And follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he came in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We're going to be looking at verse 23. In this first line, you have it there in your notes. Jesus was saying to everyone, if anyone wishes to come after me. And I believe this is the greatest invitation a person will ever receive. Now, I didn't talk about this yesterday, but just quickly, a little bit of background in terms of where are we at in the ministry of Jesus. This is quite along the way in the ministry of Jesus, later in the ministry of Jesus. And this is really a high point in the ministry of Jesus. Um, you can call it a watershed moment, a watershed. I don't know if you drive up towards North Carolina, uh, towards Asheville, you will cross the watershed. What is a watershed? It's it's usually at the top of a hill, right? And when water falls, when rain falls, it's either going to go this way or that way. It's watershed. If you go to um, Asheville, you're going to hit the eastern watershed. Water when it when it drops on that hill, come to the top of that hill, it's either going to go towards the Atlantic or it's going to go to the Mississippi. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? That's called a watershed, and this is a watershed moment. Peter makes his great confession. And from this point on, Jesus is going to be making his way to a cross. You can tell that the cross is on his mind. We saw that yesterday in our passage, right? Jesus refers to his going to be, to suffer and die and rise from the dead. And so this is a, a, a big moment. And at this moment, he makes this enormous offer. I call it the greatest invitation a person can receive. You could also call it the the greatest opportunity or the greatest bargain that you will ever come across. I like bargains. Do you like bargains? It's quite why I like going to Miracle Hill or Goodwill or yard sales, because that's where you might be able to find a good bargain, right? So I enjoy those places. Let's imagine that you are an art enthusiast, like you know art. I know some of you guys are art people. And you're at Goodwill and you're rummaging through their, uh, their picture frames. You know, maybe you've created some art and you're going through their picture frames. They're all in a corner, stacked up, big mess, and you're going through them. They're dusty and dirty. And you turn over one and you look at this picture frame and you see this picture and you go, oh my goodness, that's a Rembrandt. Now, Rembrandt was a famous artist from the 17th century. So we're talking about 400 years ago. And you know this is an original Rembrandt. And it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, possibly millions of dollars. So you take it up to the front and you say, how much for this old, you know, rotten looking thing? And they're like, $3.50. And so you go... Yes, right? <laughs> I'm going to take this Rembrandt and I'm going to buy it. All right? It would be a bargain. Does that make sense? It would be a really great deal if you come across something like that. And people have in the past. They've come across deals like this. But what we're talking about is a bargain, an offer, an invitation that far surpasses anything like that. Does that make sense? And Jesus offers that we could come after him. Now, I want us to think about this offer uh, briefly, and then we'll talk about it more in depth. First of all, note that it is an open invitation. He says, if anyone, 
wishes to come after me. That is, it's open to anyone. There's no restrictions here. Anyone in this room can accept the offer, can can respond to the invitation. Does it make sense? Uh, it's not restricted to adults. Got to be 18 and older, then you can follow Jesus. It's not restricted to a certain financial bracket. It's not uh, restricted to a certain education. Oh, well, if you have a college degree, then you can come after me. But if you don't, sorry, you know, wait till you have a college degree. There's a lot of things in life that are restricted, right? There are a lot of jobs that are restricted, a lot of offers that are restricted to education, to finances, to age. But this offer is open, an absolutely open invitation. If anyone, anyone wants to come after me, you can. It's open. Notes number two. It's a voluntary choice. It's voluntary. If anyone wishes, that's an important word there. If anyone wants to come after me. In other words, Jesus is not going to coerce you into following him. Jesus is not going to come along and force you to follow him. This is a decision that you make. This is a response that you make. And it's one that you make voluntarily. That makes sense? You can say no thank you and walk away. Who was the person in the New Testament who walked away from Jesus? The rich young ruler, right? Jesus made him an offer, told him what to do. And that rich young ruler said, no thank you, and walked away. A very sad moment. And in fact, he walked away sad. But this is a voluntary offer, okay? Um, and then thirdly, it's a unique relationship. It's the offer of a unique relationship. Now, we don't really understand, we don't, uh, when we hear this language, if anyone wishes to come after me, we're not used to that kind of language. But in the first century, his disciples who heard that completely understood what he was saying. This is the language in the first in the first century of becoming a disciple of someone. The language of discipleship. And this is what Jesus is offering. If you want to be my disciple, you can. If you want to join me and be my disciple, that is available to you. And this is the offer of a unique and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? Well, a disciple, I'm going to throw out some synonyms here. It's a student, but it's more than a student. It's a learner. More than a learner, though, a follower, a practitioner. You could say a, an apprentice of someone. And we're going to tease that out here because I want us to think about what makes this offer so great. Because maybe at this point you're like, well, you know, I don't know. Sounds like an interesting offer, but I don't know if it's really the greatest offer that ever existed. But what makes this offer so great? I'm going to give two points here. The offer is great because of what is being offered. So we need to understand what exactly is being offered. And secondly, the offer is great because of who is making the offer. Okay, So what is being offered and who makes the offer? We're going to think about those two points through the rest of our time. You all following me? You with me? Okay, so I want us to think about disciples in the first century, because that's something that we're not completely familiar with. And I want us to understand what it would have meant for Jesus to make this offer, and that will help us to understand what the offer is all about. So discipleship in the first century. In the first century, that means at the time of Jesus, 
this was the educational system as far as we can understand. There was an elementary school. It was called Beth Sefer House of Wisdom. Kids 5 through 10 would go to the elementary school. It was usually held at the local synagogue. You remember the church building that Matthew put up yet last night? And how it was both a church and a what? That was pretty typical back in the day, right? Made one building. It served as church on Sunday during the week as a school. Same thing in the first century. The synagogues were like the local worship places, usually on Saturday, right? Sabbath day. And during the week, it was used as a school. In fact, the local rabbi would often be the teacher of these kids. Five through ten, what would they learn? The main thing they would learn was to study the Torah. Who can tell me what the Torah is? The first five books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... Ah, okay. (laughs) Y'all are awake. Good. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is what they would study in elementary school. Okay. Now, those who really excelled in elementary school would go on. And they would go on to what we could call secondary school. It was House of Interpretation, Beth Midrash. Okay. And these would, so it was a smaller group here, these would go on and they would learn not just the Torah, but the rest of the Old Testament, but they'd also learn all the interpretations of the Old Testament. There's a lot of famous rabbis who had interpretations and they would study those interpretations, like studying commentaries. And they would learn how to interpret God's word. This would all start, you know, usually around 11 or 12 and go on. You even had adults who would come and sit in on classes. And generally, students who would go on to do this would do this in the evening, generally. And during the day, they would learn their trade, generally the trade of their father. So Jesus would have gone to House of Wisdom, most likely. Possibly, he might have gone on to House of Interpretation, secondary school, while learning what kind of a trade? Carpentry, right? The the trade of his father. But then only a very, very few select people who really excelled would go on to this third advanced study and become a Talmudim. A Talmudim is a disciple. And they would they would go to a rabbi and they would ask if they could become a rabbi's Talmudim. And the greater the rabbi, the greater the honor of being his Talmudim. This is, in a sense, your PhD studies. I mean, there was really no PhD in the first century. But, but this is the highest you can go in education in, in the Jewish world of this time. Does it make sense? Uh, education was all about the Bible. And this is the highest you can go. Who was a person who went this high that we know of in the New Testament? Who was a guy who became a Talmudin of the most famous rabbi in Israel. I mean, it's the top of the top of the top. Paul. He became a Talmudin of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the top rabbi in Jerusalem, which is the top city in Israel, the most important rabbi. Does this make sense, sort of? Okay, so if you were to become a Talmudin of an important rabbi... What would that look like? Well, it would mean that you would leave your home, leave your family, and you would travel to wherever this rabbi lives, and you would live with him. You would literally move in with him and and live with him and do life with him and follow him around wherever he goes. And you would learn from him. And you would 
he would be, in essence, your master. That's really what rabbi means, is master. So you become his servant in order to learn from him, and he becomes your master. So you really give over authority to him. Does it make sense? Authority over your life. And you do whatever he says. Why did people want to do this? Well, because they really looked up to these rabbis. And they wanted, they wanted to become like that rabbi. Does it make sense? They wanted what that rabbi had. All right, so let me think. Let, 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 let's walk through some of the goals of a Talmudim. You have them there in your notes. You're, you're with me? Number one, fourfold goal. The first goal of a, ra- of a disciple is to be with his rabbi. Very first goal, the very first thing that a, a Talmudim wants is to spend time with the rabbi. It's a little bit different than a student, right? If you come to college, if you go to college, you want to learn what the professor knows, but you're not really interested in his life. You want your own life. But this is totally different. You don't just want to learn what the rabbi knows. You want to spend time with him. You want to get to know him. You want a relationship with a rabbi. Did you know that in the first century, Talmudims would call their rabbi their father? And they gave their their rabbi more respect than their own earthly father. That's how close the relationship often was between a rabbi and a disciple. Secondly, you want to know what your rabbi knows. So the first goal is a relationship, but the second goal is knowledge. You do want to learn from him. Uh, you want to master what your master knows. Okay. Third, the third goal is you want to become like your rabbi in character. Okay, you want to spend time with him, so that his character, his his value system rubs off on you. Uh, you you want to imbibe his teaching to the point where you become him. Does that make sense? Because your final goal, the fourth goal, is you want to become a rabbi yourself, and this is the only way to become a rabbi is to become an apprentice of a rabbi. To become a disciple of a rabbi. Because your goal is one day, you want to be a rabbi and you want to have Talmudims under you. And you want everyone, in a sense, looking to you. And you want to speak authoritatively. Does that make sense? So this would be the fourfold goal of a Talmudim, a disciple. Now remember that only the elite, only the best students, only those who excel at primary school, secondary school, only those have an opportunity of becoming a disciple of a rabbi. It was a very high honor. Now, what does this mean? How how do we take this regarding Jesus' offer? Because Jesus is using this kind of language. So how can we take this and understand what Jesus is offering to us? Number one, Jesus is inviting us to be with him. He's offering to be our rabbi, our master. That's what he is offering. He's saying, I'm offering to any one of you, and this is an offer that still stands today, so it's a current offer to you right now. I'm offering for you to come and join me. I'm offering to be your master. Not just a teacher, but I'm offering for you to enter into a relationship with me, to come and do life with me. And to be with him. 
to be with Jesus. Know what it says in Mark 3.14? He appointed 12. This is Jesus appointed 12. What was, one of the, what was the reason why he appointed them? Who can read that? Why did he appoint 12? That they might be with him, right? That's the very first goal, to be with Jesus. And what did the disciples do? They followed him around everywhere, right? They, they, they did life with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. Okay. They stayed in the same home. So the first goal, the first opportunity, the first thing Jesus is offering is for you to be with him, to have fellowship with him, to do life with him. Secondly, he is offering you, he is inviting you to learn from him. Because Jesus has certain things to teach you, certain things to tell you, and he's inviting you to come and listen to him and learn from him. And so we have Jesus, Matthew 5. You have heard that the ancients were told. Like you you heard this, but I say to you. You see that? He comes as an authoritative teacher to teach you how to think, how to live, what to believe, what's true, what's false. Luke 10, 38, 42 Martha had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. See, Martha was a disciple. Now, this was unheard of in the first century. Uh, Only men were disciples. But Jesus is saying, anyone can be my disciple. Men, women, you can be with me. You can sit at my feet. You can take in my words. All right, you get it? One, two. Okay, number three. Number three, Jesus is inviting us to be like him in character, to take on his character. That is, Jesus is inviting us into a process of transformation. That's what he's offering. He wants to bring you into a process where your life is transformed to become more and more like Jesus in character. Okay, So you have Luke 6.40, a pupil, this is Jesus' words, a pupil is not above his teacher. But everyone, after he is fully trained, will what? Be like his teacher. That's the goal, to be like Christ. Paul puts it this way, that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. Be conformed to Jesus' likeness. So that's the third goal. But then we get to the fourth goal. And the fourth goal is different. Because the fourth goal is not for a disciple of Jesus to replace Jesus. Does it make sense? Jesus is rabbi. He's raised from the dead. He's forever rabbi. He's forever master. So the fourth goal is not to replace Jesus and for us to become rabbi. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, do not be called rabbi, none of you. None of you should be called rabbi, for you are each, uh, for for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Does it make sense? There's one rabbi, Jesus Christ. So the fourth goal is a little bit different, and I would put the fourth goal this way. Jesus is inviting each of us to participate in his mission. You note that when he calls people to himself, he says, follow me, and then he says, he gives them a mission. I will make you what? Fishers of men, right? I'm going to send you on a mission. And when Jesus invites you, he invites you to participate him 
on his path to participate in him in his mission, to join him in what he's doing in this world. We talked about that. Mr. Brazier was talking about that in the first session, right? That God has a big plan. He's got a big purpose and he's inviting you into that plan, into his plan. Now, this is not Jesus coming alongside of you and saying, um, I'm offering to be your personal life coach. You know, oh, we all need a personal life coach. Jesus is not offering to help you succeed in your plan for your life. That's not what Jesus is offering. Jesus is offering, he's saying, I want you to forget your plan for your life and come join me in my plan for the world. It's a much bigger plan, much bigger offer. I want you to come and join me. So who is the disciple? Let's let's get a, another definition here. A disciple of Jesus is someone who has responded to his invitation and joined him on his path. Be one way to put it. It's someone who has responded to this invitation. Jesus is offering you to join him. He's offering you to go where he goes, to go where he leads, to do what he says. And as, we, as we're going to see tomorrow, accepting Jesus' offer means submitting our lives to him. He becomes our rabbi. He becomes our master. So the offer is great because of what is being offered. This is an enormous offer. Jesus is offering to lead you through life. That's incredible. Every moment, every day, every situation, everything you ever encounter, he is offering you to join him. And his promise to you is, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you to yourself. If you entrust yourself to me, he entrusts himself completely to you. Isn't that incredible? But secondly, the offer is great, not just because of what is being offered, but the offer is great because of who is making the offer. Now, let's just be honest, all of us, if your little brother or your little sister came to you and said, you know what? I've got a proposition. I'm inviting you to be my disciple. You can do whatever I say. I will I, I will tell you what to do in life. How would you how would you receive that offer? You're all laughing, you're all chuckling. You can laugh out loud, it's okay. Would would you think of would you value that? Like, oh thank you, little brother or sister. I so wanted to always obey you and do what you say. I've been looking for this my whole life, you know? And finally, you offer it to me. <laughs> what a wonderful offer, right? So this offer is not that great depending on who it's from. That's the point I'm trying to make, right? Um, but let, let's turn this around. Let, we were talking about basketball last night, so we'll, we'll use basketball. If you want to be a basketball player, like that's your goal in life. And imagine that Michael Jordan, since I guess he's the top guy, Michael Jordan offers to take you under his wing and teach you basketball. 
train you, personally train you, be a personal trainer. Would you value that? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I mean, if you're into basketball, I understand. If you're not into basketball, it's not that great. If you're into basketball, it's pretty cool, right? Why? Because of who the offer is coming from, right? Let's say that you want to become an entrepreneur, a businessman, successful businessman. And Elon Musk invites you to do life with him for a year. And just go where he goes, sit in every board meeting, sit in every, just go and learn from him. I don't care what you think about Elon Musk. He is a successful businessman, right? He has built a business empire. That'd be pretty cool, right? You could learn a lot from him. Imagine you want to be a writer. You want to write the best fiction. And J.K. Rowling, you know, I mean, there's probably not a more read book than Harry Potter series, right? Invites you to learn from her. Like, would you value that? Like you would, right? If you were into writing. Uh, let's say you're into politics. This one might not go over so well. Um, but the President of the United States invites you to live in the White House with him. And, okay, I just lost everyone. Okay. But the reality is, I don't care who the President of the United States is, that would be a pretty cool offer. To sit in every meeting, to go to the situation room and see what's going on in secret. That would be pretty cool. So the offer is great depending on who it comes from. Does that make sense? Now, we need to think about who is making this offer. Why do we look up to people? What are reasons why we look up to people and want to learn from them? Let me give you some reasons why we would look up to someone. We look up to someone because they're brilliant. Because they're just like knowledgeable in a particular area, an area that we're interested in. And we want some of their brilliance. And so we look up to them because of their brain. You with me? You agree with me? It's one of the reasons why. Um, Secondly, we might look up to someone because they have power or authority. That is, they have a position. They can do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. They can move things around. They can get us in places. They have authority. They have a position. And we want that. And they have something to offer us. So we look up to them. We also look up to people because they are a success in their field. Like we we generally don't look up to the beggar on the street. But we do look up to people that we, from our perception, have achieved enormous things, have our successes, you know, however we define success. Does that make sense? So we look up to these people. We also look up to people, not as much anymore, but we look up to people because of their character. Because they have good character. They are people of integrity. And we might look up to people because of their character. Now, I want us to think about the person of Jesus Christ. Because when you turn to the person of Jesus Christ, he is superior in every realm. He blows everyone off the charts. Does that make sense? So let's think about it. 
there is no one more brilliant and more knowledgeable than Jesus Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, we are told. Jesus doesn't just have some particular skill set. He is the master at everything and anything you can possibly think of. Why? Because he is the creator of everything. You know, you might look up to some guy who has multiple PhDs in astrophysicists or something like that, but Jesus created astrophysicists. You don't think of it that way, but Jesus is the top scientist who ever lived. He's the, he, he's the top, um, politician, you could say, who ever lived. The, the top musician, the top mathematician, whatever it is, he knows more about it than any person who's ever lived. He's the most brilliant person who ever walked the face of this earth. His wisdom surpasses the wisdom of Solomon, we are told. And we're told that there was no one wiser than Solomon in all of history. And Solomon knew a lot, but Jesus knows more. And so if you're after knowledge, if you're after IQ, if you're after intellectual capacity, no one comes close to Jesus Christ. He knows more about anything and everything than any person who's ever walked this face, the face of this earth. You realize that? He knows more about sports. He knows more about biology. He knows more about, I mean, you name it. He knows more. He knows more about technology and how it works. He knows more. Do you need wisdom and knowledge? Well, Jesus Christ is unparalleled. But what, what, what more? There's no one who's walked the face of this earth who has more power or more authority than Jesus Christ. He spoke to a storm and it listened to him. Do you realize that? You try that. If it storms this afternoon, you try yelling at it. See if it listens to you. He spoke to people who were lame, like me. And he started walking again. Wouldn't that be cool if I stood up? I haven't stood up in 12 years. That's power. He raised people from the dead. Like, death is not final to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? You would be better off having Jesus Christ than having a Navy SEAL team at your disposal. You know, Navy SEAL teams are pretty cool. But you're better having Jesus Christ. He has way more authority, way more power than any any other person or group of people on this earth. So Jesus Christ, far superior. He's far superior in being a success. No one has been more successful at life than Jesus Christ. Now, you don't think of Jesus Christ generally as a success. He was born in poverty. He had no money. Generally, when we think of success, we think of money, education, power, position, right? But he had no big position. He had no big education. 
He lived a poor life and he died as a common criminal on a cross. That doesn't seem like much of a success, does it? But I want to submit to you that there is no one who has been who is more successful in life than Jesus Christ. No one has lived a more fulfilled life than Jesus Christ. No more no person has lived a happier life than Jesus Christ. And no one has been more successful. Think about this. Jesus Christ solved mankind's greatest problem. Now, Jesus was so brilliant. He could have, he could have, he could have solved the food problem. Is there a food problem on this earth? Yeah, there's people who are hungry right now. They have no food. There's a food problem. There's always been a food problem. He could have solved the food problem of the earth. Is there a money problem? There are people without money? Yeah. He could have solved the money problem of the world. Are there technological problems? Yeah, probably. He could have solved the world's technological problems. No big deal. Uh, Are there health issues? Yeah. He could have solved the world's health issues. Completely. But he didn't come to do those things. Because there was a problem that we had that was deeper than all of that. You know what that problem was? It's our sin. Our sin that separated us from God. And Jesus Christ came to restore the relationship between us and God. That's why he came. He came to go to a cross. Everything that he did prior to that was simply leading up to that point. And in that, there has been no person on this earth who has lived a more successful life than Jesus Christ. And he rose from the dead, which tells us that God accepted his sacrifice. And the way is open. That's why Jesus can make this invitation to you, right? He can make this invitation because he's paid it all. And the way is open. How is it that a sinful person like you and me can become the disciple of a holy God because of a cross. Jesus went to a cross. And then number four, there's no one, we talked about this yesterday, who has greater character than Jesus Christ. There's no one on the face of this earth that you can look up to more than Jesus Christ. Every other person on the face of this earth will fail you at some point. You look up to me, you look up to anyone else, they will fail you. I will fail you. But Jesus Christ will never fail you because he is perfect, sinless. He is no one with greater character. And he is offering to you to come and do life with him. That's incredible. The most brilliant, the most powerful, the most successful, the most the the the, the person who has the greatest character is issuing you an invitation. And he says, "If you want, if you desire it, you may come after me, and be my disciple, and I will be your master." This is what he is offering. I will be your master. And I will lead you through life and I will teach you and I will transform you and I will bring all of my wisdom and power and success and character to bear on your life 
for your eternal good. Not whenever you want it, but for your eternal good, he will bring it to bear upon your life. Do you realize that? That's the offer he is making you. And the sad thing is a lot of people just go, who cares? So I want you to think about this. We're going to do the same thing we did yesterday. We're going to take some time, about 10 minutes or so. You each take, find a place by yourself, take your Bible, take your notes, and there's some questions here. And I want you to think about what we've talked about this morning. What is your reaction to Jesus' invitation? I want you to think about that and think about it honestly. This is for you. It's not for anybody else. It's for you. But it's for you to process. Do you have a desire to be his disciple? Or does the offer kind of intimidate you or scare you? And why? Write down some of your thoughts in regards to that. And then I want you to think about the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about what is it that draws you to Jesus Christ? And what is it about Jesus that keeps you from trusting him completely? And I want you to write some of your thoughts down there and wrestle with this. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. Before you get back together, around 11, I want you to spend a couple minutes just praying. Praying is talking to God. It's not... Praying is not saying certain specific words. These and thou's. Praying is just being honest with God. And I, I want to encourage you to talk to God about what you write down. Does that make sense? Your struggles, your desires. Talk to him about it, okay? And then we'll come back together at 11. Have a break. And at 11.15, uh, Mr. Nuremberg will lead us in the third session. Good? All right, let me pray. Father, we thank you. For Jesus Christ and for this offer that is made possible to us to come under his authority, to do life with him. Father, I pray that you would speak to us and show us the enormity of this offer and draw hearts to Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.